0: Today, as I said at the beginning of Mass, marks the beginning of the holy season of Advent, this season which has two purposes, to prepare us on the one hand to celebrate Christ's birth anew at Christmas, his first coming, but also, especially in these first two weeks, to prepare our hearts and souls to meet Christ when he comes again, for the second time at the end of the age. There, he will judge the living and the dead and usher into the fullness of God's kingdom. That's the purpose of Advent. But let's put this in a wider context, and please bear with me a little on this. The planet we live on Earth is part of a solar system with one star, the Sun. And when I was growing up I was taught there were nine planets. I think Pluto got demoted at some point. Wikipedia says there's only eight planets, and if it's on Wikipedia we know it's true. <laughs> but regardless, Our solar system, with its one star, is part of the Milky Way galaxy. There are anywhere from 100 to 400 billion, billion with a B, stars in the Milky Way galaxy. How many galaxies are there in the universe? Well, the estimates I saw were all in the trillions, trillion with a T. One estimate said there are 10 trillion galaxies. Now, those are absurd numbers. Just to put them in context, 1 million seconds equals 12 days. 1 billion seconds is 31 years. In 1 trillion seconds, it's almost 32,000 years. 10 trillion galaxies. It's hard to wrap your mind around that. If there are 10 trillion galaxies, like this one estimate said, that means there's 1 septillion stars. That is a one followed by 24 zeros. I tried to put septillion to seconds or to, you know, to years or whatever. I couldn't do it, or at least it came up with an absurd number. We can hardly wrap our mind around the vastness of this universe. So why is it here? Why is this universe here? Why is there something rather than nothing, as the philosophical question goes? And we can look at that question. Why is there something rather than nothing philosophically? And if we do it, we get one of the philosophical proofs for God's existence. We're not going to do that in this homily. That's a tough thing to do in 8 to 10 minutes. The good news is we have a shortcut because God, who cannot deceive nor be deceived, answers that question for us in divine revelation. He tells us why there's something rather than nothing, why there is this vast universe. We just have to open our Bibles to the very first verse in Genesis chapter 1, where it says, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, whenever we talk about the book of Genesis, I feel like I always have to give a caveat. Because people, when they read the creation accounts, they get tripped up with this evolution versus creationism debate. And that misses the point of Genesis fundamentally. The point of Genesis is not to tell us how the universe came into being, It's not to tell us when the universe came into being, but why it came into being, right? How do we know that that's what Genesis is trying to tell us? Well, we need to understand the Bible is not one book. It is 73 books, books from different genres, right? So we have historic books, poetic books, prophetic books, liturgical books, legal books, letters written to churches, and on and on. The book of Genesis, especially the first 11 chapters of Genesis, gives a poetic rendering of history, something that was very popular in the ancient world. This poetic rendering of history, it uses poetic language and symbolism to convey a primordial truth. I'm saying all this to say, don't discount Genesis. Don't say, well, we are so smart now. We have technology. We know uh, about evolution. We know how to uh, get to the moon. We have iPhones in our pockets. This is some ancient myth. It is divinely inspired word of God, communicating the primordial truth in symbols and poetic language that God created the universe out of nothing. And He created the universe, this vast and wonderful universe, not because he had to, not because he needed to, not because it added something to him that he was missing, but rather out of his goodness and love, he created all that exists. Moreover, he calls his creation very good. Once he looks upon what he has made, he says it is very good, and that includes humanity, which in some very real sense is the pinnacle of his creation, that he made us male and female in his image and likeness. And what's more, God's creative act is constant because he's the ground of all being, meaning he is constantly holding us in being by his creative love. He is sustaining us in being moment to moment. We cannot take the next breath without God sustaining us in being, without him constantly willing us and choosing us, This means that each of us is the result of a thought of God. Each of us is willed, each of us is loved, each of us is necessary. This universe with one septillion stars and 10 trillion galaxies and 100 to 400 billion stars in this galaxy alone, all that hairs on our head are numbered. God so loved the world, so loved each individually, that he sends his only begotten son to be born of the Virgin on Christmas to save us so that we might have life and have it abundantly. And that same Son, Jesus Christ, will return again to judge the living and the dead and usher in the fullness of his kingdom. That's the larger context of Advent. But still, someone could say, look, all right, that's nice, but the readings very clearly talk about Christ's second coming. Why talk about creation? Here's the reason. The Archbishop asked us, priests and deacons of the archdiocese, to preach this Advent on the kerygma. The kerygma is a Greek word that means proclamation, and in Christian circles it refers to the essential proclamation of the gospel. This past June, the priests of the archdiocese, we went on our annual retreat, which was given by a priest from Detroit, Father John Ricardo. He preached on the kerygma, and he breaks it down into four components— The goodness of creation, sin and its consequences, God's remedy for sin and its consequences, and our response to God's remedy. Really, he breaks them down into four words. Created, captured, rescued, response. Today, this first Sunday in Advent, we talked about creation. Next Sunday, every priest and deacon of the Archdiocese were preaching on that second part. Sin and its consequences captured, then God's rescue mission, and finally our response to it. The Archbishop's hope in mine, that of the whole presbyter of the archdiocese, is that this preaching of the new, anew of the essential proclamation of the gospel message, the Kerygma, may help us to enter into this season of Advent more deeply, and more than that, enter into a deeper relationship with Christ. Deeper relationship with Christ, with God, who made us, who cares for us in this vast universe, who knows us by name, who's numbered the hairs on our head. He made us for himself and our hearts are restless until we rest in him. So may we come to know, love, and serve him greater this Advent through the preaching of the kerygma, this essential message of the gospel.